hope everybody's sitting comfortably. And um, I'd like to ask Achen Kaliano to offer the first, um, first uh, presentation on the theme of fear, compassion, and insight. Years of experience. <coughs> Thank you. So I think um, I think the first thing I'd like to say actually is just to really encourage this group because um, you know, over this weekend you know, I've heard so many good things and. <coughs> And uh, in a way, I could say that the, you know, this theme, fear, compassion, and insight, you could say that in a reduction of fear and an increase in compassion and a deepening of insight are the natural fruits of the practice that you're doing already. Uh, so, and to start off like that, it's not to try an excuse to try and get out of saying anything. I will say something. <laughs> Although... Uh, <laughs> I try to say something. <coughs> I was saying to Ajahn Abra at the meal time, I said, I'm feeling unusually nervous about this. It's not my usual kind of forum. Or oh, hasn't been you know, this for over the last two years. I've been used to kind of talking into the void a bit. And, uh, and at the, the, uh, the sharing meetings, I tend to be much more shy. You know, this is a this is a kind of step forward for me to come to something that's more of that kind of nature. And towards the, towards at the end of the last winter retreat, actually, there was a big sharing in the in the sala, and uh, I was too shy to go. So, so I sent a painting to this meeting, which which actually went down very well. It was a kind of it was a success, my painting, so I'm told. <laughs> and uh, this time, there's an improvement because I've I've come. Uh, but I've also bought a painting. <laughs> uh, so at the last minute I decided, well, if I feel too shy to share deeply, then this can be my sharing. Uh, I've got a lot of Yorkshire blood in me, so... Uh, this is a response really to this lady over here, so perhaps she should put it up. It's, uh, would you like to? Uh, put it up on the wall there, if you like. Should be obvious which way up it goes. Uh, it's a blue tack there. So this is another kind of gesture of encouragement. Um, so this lady was talking, saying, well, "What about the deathless?" So here it is. <laughs> uh, uh, so Chris was saying, "Well, it maybe deathless is different for everybody. So it doesn't matter what it looks like, does it? You know, it's a gesture." It's different for everybody. So I painted this a few days ago as a representation uh, of the deathless, uh, which is not necessarily how it is. I'm not trying to picture it, but uh, it kind of says something. It's out to say something. It's out to just kind of sit there while all the rest is going on. Uh, so this lady was saying, well, on poor Samadhi used to talk about space, you know, how we sit here and there's all the things in the room which are all on their way out, as we've been saying. Yeah. Um, so all the things in the room which are kind of on their way out, you know, wearing out, 
and then there's the space in this room which you know Lumpur Samedi used to talk about is the deathless using an analogy or sort of pointing at something uh, more lasting so and we have to really be careful to remember when we investigate these things it's like the Buddha then the Buddha was looking at old age sickness and death but he was looking for the deathless so when he saw old age sickness and death then his response would be oh no that's not it uh, on one level we say well yes but that's not it um, but uh, what this picture part of what this picture is meant to represent apart from a gesture to you all is uh, is uh, that the death and the deathless come together. Uh, this is a phrase that I've heard Long Paul Liam, who's now the, the, he's the head of our order, Abbot of Wat Popong, successor to Ajahn Chah, has, has said a lot. I don't know if Ajahn, maybe Joseph would be kind enough to tell me later whether this comes from Ajahn Chah, I don't know. But uh, Long Paul Liam will often say, death and the deathless, you see the two together. Uh, because the, the awareness, the, the quality of awareness that sees death or sees uh, old age, aging clearly, uh, the little deaths of life, you know, the, the, uh, the small ones, the creaky knees, whatever, the little deaths of life or the big one, the awareness that sees that very clearly, that's the deathless. So that when, when, as a practice deepens then and we become aware of our own awareness, like like Terminator the other night. <laughs> uh, I've never seen the movie, actually. I don't, I don't know if it's like Terminator at all. But um, and we become self-aware, aware of one's own awareness. Uh, a presence of mind, mindfulness leading to presence of mind, becoming aware of one's own awareness. And then there's a particular kind of awareness or quality of awareness that, that can arise over time uh, in relation to these particular reflections. Uh, so this is why we keep doing it, you, know, you have to keep doing it. So as uh, Joseph was saying last night, as, as the keeping doing it is a very, it's kind of very natural aspect of Thai life, not so much of ours. For us all this can be a bit of a shock. Uh, we haven't grown up with it. If we've grown up with all this, it's not so much of a shock. But for us and for me, I mean, I've worked in hospitals, uh, as uh, Nick mentioned, for many years. And for quite a few, the first few of those years, then death was just, you know, the thing behind the curtain that I didn't see, just the same as nobody else saw it. You know, that uh, when anyone died, then the curtains were all drawn on the wards. You've seen this ritual in a ward, all the curtains get drawn and the body disappears and then all the curtains are drawn again and the person has kind of magically disappeared and the bed is perfectly made like they'd never existed. It's kind of a bizarre thing that happens. Um, but as time went on, you know, and I got more, more towards the front line, so to speak, then, uh, so I've had a few experiences which uh, are very important ones, been very formative ones in my spiritual life. And uh, it seems strange to me in a way that, that looking back on it, one of the most important is, the, is a story that I've only told once. I tell these stories a little bit because people seem to find them really useful. But uh, this story I told just for the first time on a retreat that I gave last week here. And it's a story of when I, I as uh, one of my jobs as a physio was collecting sputum 
which is not a very nice job. You can <laughs> imagine, you see, I go around the wall with my sputum pot, and uh, you know, there was also the suction there. You know, if I couldn't get the person to cough it up, then I had the gruesome job of sticking this horrible tube down people's noses. Terrible job. Um, so I used to dread it, and they, the patients used to dread me. You know? <laughs> 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 and, uh, so it's always a bit of a fraught job. But one day I went, I went into a single room with this man who had come in with some kind of mysterious respiratory complaint, looking for a sample of sputum. And this man was in his chair and completely dead. I mean, he's, he's gone, head, eyes open, head forward, with this very long piece of snot hanging out of his nose, and dead. There was I walking into a room with a sputum pot in my hand, and and I, I look back now and I just remember so well the moment where I was reaching out with this sputum pot, a kind of bizarre thing to do, you know, trying to take the sample and reaching out to this snot that was coming out of this man's nose. It's kind of a absurd thing to do, but the the most important thing about that experience is not what was happening, but the fact that my mind went completely quiet. Uh, stopped my mind. Uh, at that moment of just reaching out, oh, oh. Uh, when my mind stopped, it was extremely peaceful just for a moment, you know, just a kind of finger snap. So I didn't really realise that you know the importance of that kind of experience at the time, and then, and also another experience which I, I do tell this story quite often of how I was in a I was uh, training and in the I used to do anatomy lessons in the morgue, as you believe, which is a disgusting thing to do. Uh, so we, we were, I was given this dead person's leg one afternoon. And you, you, the idea is that you, ha you learn how to, to feel, to, to, f to know what's under the skin through feel. So it's a very useful thing to do, you know, not, not just wasting your time, but it's absolutely gruesome thing to do. So you imagine somebody you know, this dead leg that's been stewing in formaldehyde for years and all tatty and you know, just gets kind of slapped down on the slab in front of you and okay, so it's hamstrings today, oh, right. Okay, so you find out you know you get all the skin taken off very useful. Well, there's the hamstrings, you know they feel like this, and the ligaments feel like that. Oh, you know, by the time you go out, you know you don't you kind of you don't know if you feel sick because because of the formaldehyde or because of what you've been looking at. And um, so this time I I walked out of the the uh, the lab, you know, the forensic lab, and. Uh, all my friends, who walked out, all my friends turned right straight into the pub, incidentally. <laughs> Don't blame them. But me, me, the kind of staunch practitioner, dumber practitioner, turns left. And, uh, and I was walking along, and I started to, I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, I feel dreadful. You know, what will I do? I'll do my Tai Chi walking. That's what I'll do. So I was walking down the street doing my Tai Chi walking, and... Uh, so, you know, we're going to get a bit grounded here, you know, let's find the ground, where's the ground? <laughs> and uh, walking down the street, becoming very aware of my legs though, wasn't I? <laughs> oh. <laughs> hamstrings, hamstrings. 
<laughs> ho hum. Yeah. But what happened? You know, another little magical moment. That's what happened. You know, there was this moment where I just I seemed to see into into my leg, and I saw my hamstrings working you know, to to walk me along. And that moment was completely peaceful. Uh, another magical moment before the panic set in. <laughs> before I started thinking about it, uh, before the calm was lost. Uh, so there's another magical moment which, again, didn't really understand. And the, the reason I, I'm telling you all this is, is bringing me on to um, talking about uh, going on actually from where Joseph uh, was. And so if you if you cast your mind back to last night and back to Thailand, which he so beautifully pictured this lovely scene of, uh, of Thailand. I was also, also four years in Thailand, so he was really um, uh, striking a chord in me very strongly. This lovely way that he was describing practice there and how natural one is about mindfulness of the body. Uh, and if you cast your mind back to that, then... Uh, and what I'd intended to talk about before Joseph gave his talk um, was about mindfulness of the body. And you know, this is this is a, this particular aspect is what I found I got a lot of training on in Thailand and has become a kind of vehicle for me because obviously I'm good at it. You know, I'd learned all the muscles in the body in the lab. You know, so. I can walk along, there's all the muscles there and the bones, you know, do the lot, good at it. So it's me capitalising on this, having developed this skill. And, uh, but I really recommend it um, in the right context, you know, if you have a, have a refuge, if your mindfulness is there. And uh, uh, because there was no fear. Uh, coming back to our topic, you know, there is no fear at all. Uh, and I find that, you know, in these moments, moments when the mindfulness of body is really established in this very natural way, uh, not really trying to do it, then uh, there's no fear. Uh, so, so I've become a bit of a kind of funeral and hospital specialist at the monastery. And I always put my hand up, you know, there's a funeral going, so oh, okay, I'll do that. Uh, go to the hospital, oh yes, all right, I'll do that. So I'm not really phased by these things. I'm phased by a lot of other things, but uh, I'm not phased by these things. And I can kind of worry that I'm going to, am I going to say the right thing to the person? Or I went to see a man who was dying um, last year and I was sitting there worrying of whether I was going to say the right thing to him. And that's all right, and just the same as I'm a bit anxious whether I'm saying the right thing to you now uh, in some ways. How are they going to take this? You know, it's radical, isn't it? <laughs> you know, death and the deathless. How are they going to take that? You know? um, and that's all right. I mean, just to just to let, just to actually tell a, a little story about that, about fear, a bit more about fear, anxiety. It's kind of apt. A little story of when my father died. My father committed suicide. Actually, which is one of the biggest uh, events of my life, as you can imagine. Uh, my father committed suicide fairly out of the blue and uh, a friend of mine came to see me afterwards and I opened the door to him and he just stood there and he said, well, I don't know what to say. 
Uh, oh, okay, Ron, come in. And he came in, he sat down, he sat there. He was obviously really nervous and he just said, I don't know what to say. And he said, and he's still just really, and I just started feeling such a love for this man, actually, because he just kept sitting there, uh, being nervous, and saying, well, there's nothing I can say, is there? So on one level, no, there's nothing I can say, is there? You know, old age, sickness and death, what can you say? And what can you say is going to make any difference? So on one level. Uh, you know, so it's such a beautiful thing for him to do, wasn't it? To come and just sit there and say, oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I made him a cup of tea, you know, and <laughs> started looking after him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I started feeling quite a lot better in myself. You know. <laughs> but, oh, I've got somebody to look after, you know, back to my normal mode of modus operandi. You know. <laughs> felt quite a lot better. Uh, where was I before I told that one? Um, <laughs> perhaps Nick can remind me. Where was I? The death, of course. <laughs> there we were. <laughs> There we are with the deathless, which is the awareness that sees these things. We realise eventually. Um, so what we what we see at this point is that we see that the uh, the perception of suffering is not suffering. The feeling of suffering is n- the perception of suffering are two different things, completely different things. So. Although, you know, we can, I, you know, like I, you know, I had plenty of suffering going through all these experiences, of course, you know, working in hospitals, all these things. You know, but I was, I was the kind of, I was the lay Buddhist making, you know, really going for right livelihood like nothing else. You know, like really going for it. I, I'm going to save the world. <laughs> Watch me. Mind, yes, got it. Body. You know, a bit silly, really, but immature. But <laughs> in some ways, but good-hearted, you know. Uh, And uh, where was I again, Nick? Deathless. Deathless. <laughs> <laughs> keep bringing me back. What else is there to say? Is there? And the deathless is right there. So you know, just you know, this lady earlier was saying, well, shouldn't we? You know, perhaps we should just kind of notice the space and kind of get some space around these things. Uh, but actually, death and the deathless are right in the same place. And yet we only realise that when the, when the practice really matures and the mind calms right down into these things, cools out, chills out into these things. Uh, but you see that the, the feeling of suffering, that you, you, you go through the suffering of being around all these things, but then you develop through, through being with them, you develop a perception of suffering. So, oh well, yeah, that's death or that's suffering, isn't it? Well, yes. I really know that without any doubt. Look at it. I mean, it's not nice, is it? And then develop that that sanya perception with no doubt in the mind. Yes, death is suffering. And so with and death, and you encounter death again, suffering, uh, suffering. No doubt about it, suffering. And as the mind calms down into that perception, suffering, then that is your refuge from suffering. Uh, Ajahn Chah used to say, you know, you use anicca, dukkha and nata, these reflections, these perceptions, or 
Anicca sanya, dukkha sanya, anatta sanya, perceptions of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness of not self. You say you 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 use them. You you hit the conditions before they hit you. Uh, get the first punch in. <laughs> uh, so that's your your dukkha sanya becomes strong enough, then you then you're protected from the dukkha vedana, the, the, the feeling of suffering, on a particular issue. And these are these are the big issues. You know, this one old age. Sickness, death, these are the really big issues. Uh, but they're also the, the issues that have the most lever in the mind. A big lever. You know, so for somebody who's got very strong meditation, for example, you know, then they're going to be looking at this a lot because this, you know, this is potentially the biggest lever that we've got and is the, the potentially the, the most powerful way that we can deepen our samadhi. So, you know, if a monk or a lay practitioner has got very good samadhi, then you know they're you know they're asking you know, someone asking Ajahn Chah's advice about this kind of reflection, who's who's a very good meditator. Uh, then what they're looking to do is to deepen their samadhi. You know, so, in my last retreat, and you know, I'm coming towards the end of the retreat. Um, getting a bit tired really, you know, I did six talks in a row or something. I just found myself saying, well, you know, I, I was given this, uh, this uh, uh, contemplation of bones by my teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Anand. I've been doing it for years now, bones, lots of bones. People get to know me and they, they give me bones now. <laughs> so I've got a little hut full of bones, <laughs> hut full of bones. And, uh, I found myself saying, you know, white, white bones, white samadhi, bones are samadhi. I was a bit tired. <laughs> I said, oh, bones are samadhi, like that. And then after the retreat, uh, this, uh, this Romanian man came up to me. He said, you know what I remember after your retreat? You know, I just remember you saying bones are samadhi. <laughs> I thought, Did I say that? <laughs> I must have been a bit tired. Uh, but um, in a way, it shows you know what how something can change its meaning. Uh, that that uh, you know from be, from be, being a kind of symbol for me of uh, old age, sickness, and death, uh, bones, um, very calming, incidentally cooling. Uh, uh, then they they became over time over you know seven or eight years. I've been doing this kind of practice, then they start to mean something else, you know, the white of the bones and the associated coolness, calm mind. So the, the word samadhi can be a kind of a dodgy one to use in some circles, you, know, you think it's claiming something, but to, to just say, you know, the, maybe the coolness, calmness of mind that arises, if, that, that if, they, if you get to develop that, then that's what you that's what becomes the point of the exercise then. Uh, uh, which is a very pleasant point <laughs> to the exercise. Uh, I wonder if, how long have I been going then? That's about it. 
that's about it. So just to leave you with the deathless over there, notice that notice that he the feet are still in the coffin. Uh, so death and deathlessness are in the same place. Uh, freedom and uh, well, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Ajahn. So, Joseph, when you're ready, um, everybody to uh, take a moment or a few moments to reflect back or reflect inwardly on what is it, what is that maybe one thing uh, that you fear the most? What is the deepest fear that you might have? Uh, Whatever that is, there may be several, but what is the one that immediately comes to mind what are you afraid of Just hold that and, and take that away with as part of a, something that uh, will, I'll do my best to uh, weave that into what I'm going to say in these uh, kind of three subjects of fear, compassion, and uh, uh, insight. When I first came to uh, Amaravati, and I'm sure most people here can relate to this, that when we sit quietly and although we're in noble silence, that what is going on within ourselves is not always so noble. And uh, the uh, proliferation and the amount of reflections or just chaos and confusion or craziness that we can experience and this just came to me, but I wanted to share it and, and 
think it's somehow relative. And when he first came, of course, we everything happened in the sala, you know, the meals, the chanting, the puja. The, uh, it was the place, and uh, and it was we did everything we could to make it uh, comfortable and and warm. And even though uh, some of you may not know. Uh, some of you may, but I uh, was a, a helicopter pilot, combat helicopter pilot in Vietnam in 1969 and 70. And there's incredible conditioning that goes with military training that kind of stays with, uh, with, with uh, certainly stayed with me and my experience with veterans and former military people. But I used to have this kind of protective um, quality. Sometimes we'd be sitting in meditation, everybody in the meditation hall, and uh, I would think about being attacked, and I, I'm not quite sure why, but that we were vulnerable. And I guess a soldier, there's, there's always a vulnerability, and one needs to be um, hypervigilant in case of some kind of incident and, and be ready to react at a, at a split second. So <laughs> I would think that that you know maybe someone would come and that didn't you know like us and and, and you know, like throw a grenade through the window or something and I and so I, I knew immediately that I what I would do you know I would throw myself on this grenade you know I yelled everybody to get down as I was like leaping for this grenade and, and I don't say that to like well you know I'm this great hero and I'm gonna you know throw myself on the sword for everybody but it's interesting because in that there's a fearlessness isn't there there's a kind of a a total, like, I'm not, no concern for self, concern for others. And, and so it, it's kind of a spontaneous reflecting on this as I'm remembering it. And I, I know each one of us has that to, to, to some extent, the willingness to uh, take a bullet or to do what's necessary to protect uh, something, somebody, or just out of the principle of to want to help. And so both the fear and compassion are embedded in, in that theme. The insight part there, I'm not quite sure of, but perhaps the insight in that, in that particular example is that <clears throat> the, the willingness to, to sacrifice or give up self. And that's really, uh, I believe, what uh, prevents you and I from being truly free to holding on to the idea and the sense of self, the identity with the body, like the leg that uh, John Kalyana was talking about. If that would have been somebody's leg that he knew, it would no longer be, say, it was George's leg, and he knew it was George, and poor old George lost his leg. But he wouldn't see it as George, he'd just see it as George's leg, but he'd have a little closer relationship to the to the leg. And so the identity, and it's the same with our own bodies, it's like, like when we, we identify with the parts, but then when any of the parts or any of the, uh, the kind of the orifices that we have in our bodies leak, um, then we no longer want to identify with it, we want to get distant from it. So in Thai, all the things that kind of ooze from our orifices uh, are, are called excrement. So it's like ear excrement, nose excrement, and so everything is, or, or ear dirt. You know, so everything that comes from the orifices, it's dirt, and then so like, you know, snot or mucus is, is, um, uh, is, is kimuk, which is, you know, 
is, is uh, nose dirt. So it's just, it's just basically the things coming out are not clean, so that word is, is, is tied to them. And reflecting on the, the, the body and uh, the fear that we have is, is through this deep attachment to uh, it being hurt or threatened. And I recall a, an incident when I was a very young boy. I must have been somewhere around six to eight years old, six, seven years old, and I remember the exact place. I mean, I could take you there today if we were in the city of Seattle and Washington states in America. And we're coming up this hill to a, a stoplight. And we were starting to turn. And as we turned, there was a car coming another way and a woman uh, with groceries, like a bag of groceries in her hand. And the car stopped suddenly uh, because it would have hit her. And she went, ah! And, and, and I did that for a reason because when she went, ah! and the groceries flew, it just hit my heart. And for the first time in my life, those, th those three things, and I just realized this today, those three things hit me. There was both fear, because that could be me, and I know that that body is no different from mine, so if she's hit or hurt, I am. There's the compassion, because I feel what she feels, because I know I would hurt too. And then there's the actual insight into, wow, this is what we're a part of, the, the, the understanding, the deepening of this experience, this human experience. And I've been walking around, you know, today when I remember, I said, oh, wow, that's perfect, you know, that, those three things. And I never realized it till just, you know, an hour or two ago, that at this young age, these three things just happened in this one moment. And, and perhaps many of us can remember an incident where we uh, were, were, uh, had a strong impression with, with something. And, and I think whenever we see, say, an accident, that um, the, the first thing that, that I don't know about here, but in the States, they'll get like these uh, um, kind of traffic jams. And often it will be a traffic jam of an accident, and the traffic doesn't flow because everybody wants to slow down and look. So, so there's this, this, this incredible curiosity, and yet we're afraid to really look. You know, if, it's, if it was something really, oh my God, you know, we would be like horrified if there was, you know, George's leg was there. That's where George's leg came from, you know, the, the accident, George donated his body to science or something. And yet, we can't, it, it's like one can't restrain oneself. It's like, want to look, and you know, you're looking for blood or some sign. And, and so we have this, this kind of double-edged sword. We're both afraid of it, and yet we want to know. There's this incredible curiosity, and it's almost a natural uh, curiosity that one has, and yet the fear and trepidation uh, uh, about it at the same time. When I first uh, arrived in Vietnam, I had had about close to two years of training. And uh, I had uh, done my kind of basic and what they call advanced training. I had always wanted to fly. Then I did became a, a commissioned officer, which was a better than I thought being an enlisted man. And then I was able to qualify for flight school. So all these trainings were kind of long periods of time. So by the time I went to Vietnam, 
uh, as a pilot. I had been two years in training, so all of the everything had been theory, of course, even though you practice on uh, battle-like conditions and you're in these situations that prepare one for for combat. That nothing is like the real thing. It's like this coming week. Now we'll be reflecting on on uh, dying and on death, and even though we might rehearse or prepare that, uh, unless we've had a near-death experience, which I'm sure we'll discover who has on this retreat, that we're not quite sure what it's going to be like. So no amount of preparation they can really uh, um, know what that moment's going to be like. And at a young age, and I think it was maybe right around the time that I experienced this woman almost being uh, you know, hit by a car and, and stalled and thrown, I, I had a, a very uh, uh, terrifying uh, thought of death, like I would reflect on death in a way I would think about it, know that it was real, know that I was mortal, but was very confused by it. And, and my mind would like spin out of control. I would start to think death, the end, you know, like this annihilation that whatever this was, what I was would be gone. And I would just, I would just kind of panic within my own mind. And, but I didn't know how to really, how to articulate or verbalize those those thoughts. And then I think puberty or so, those went dormant. And so kind of fast forward arriving in Vietnam at 22 years old, trained as a helicopter pilot, ready to go off and fight for the flag and, and for the cause. I arrive at my duty station uh, and they had uh, all these, uh, the, the, uh, the French had uh, built all of these buildings in Vietnam and from their presence. So, there were, so the American troops come in, so the French come out, the Americans come in, and so they kind of take up a lot of these bases were built around these French buildings. And so a lot of the headquarters were in these French buildings. So I walked into this headquarters building to report into my commanding officer, and I sat down, and there's a little chalkboard on the, on the wall there, and it had, you know, capital K-I-A. And then below it, it had, if I remember correctly, three, three tick marks, like three lines. And I just in, intuitively, instinctively, I knew K.I. was killed in action, and I know, knew that those three, those three lines were pilots. I just, I don't know how I knew, but I knew. And so, and here I was, a mortal pilot, never having really reflected about my mortality since this young age, and again, just this, this, my whole world to that point, the training, whatever, did not pre prepare me for, for what I experienced. So I just spiraled out of control in my, in my mind. I mean, it was all I could do is to control myself. Oh my God, I'm in combat and, and you know, I might die. And you know, all that was just like everything in my training was this fear was just compelling me to go. But of course I was able to compose myself. But that was really the, the impetus that started me on the journey that brings me here with, uh, with, with you today, because it, 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 it reawakened that childhood uh, curiosity and, and, and terror of being immortal, and that I knew that, that I could be sent home in a body bag any day. Uh, and so combat has its way of, uh, uh, and, and there's many traumatic situations, but I don't think there's any quite like 
combat or being in a combat zone where on a continuous uh, time frame one is being th one's life is being threatened and this is where we get what we call post-traumatic stress and combat's a, a common one but uh, post-trauma from stressful situations happen in, in all sorts of ways where uh, to men and, and women alike so it was the it was the impetus to me uh, wanting to find and and search for that deeper uh, place of refuge, a spiritual abiding of which uh, I had never really identified with Christianity and and so that started my 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 search and so I don't have time to go into details, but that eventually I did end up in Thailand and and studying. Uh, Buddhism. In fact, my first trip to Thailand, I had a uh, St. Christopher medal, which an aunt had given me, and on my father's side of the family, they were Catholic. And this little Buddha, I didn't literally trade in my cross, but I took my cross off and I got this little Buddha here. And when I became a monk, I gave it to my mother, and she wore it for years and years. And then a few years ago, she's still alive, she gave it back to me. But this little Buddha has, has uh, you know, been with me since, or my mother, and the first, it was very soon on after I came back and had this Buddha that I, I got shot down. And uh, which means, you know, we, the helicopter uh, had to land quickly. <laughs> and so uh, fortunately the quick landing ended up being a safe one and, and no one was hurt but the the kind of the, like Anando, those are no Anando, you think about him uh, being in combat and, and that he had this, those that knew him uh, had this hole, this part of his skull missing. So you think about here's these, these, you know, these foolish, stupid men, you know, out there shooting each other and killing each other. You know, we've been doing this for centuries now and still doing it and haven't learned anything, but here they are all out there, you know, with their guns and shooting them off and trying to kill each other. And, you know, make it a little lighthearted. But think about the, the kind of the karmic things that we have. It's like, here he is standing up, and, and the other, the, the Vietnamese, the enemy is going to know whoever has the radio also has the leader. And so if you can get the radio and whoever's close to the radio, that's going to be good. You know, you're going to kill a leader, you're going to kill the person that has the radio. So he's like a sitting duck, he's like, here I am, it's like a helicopter comes flying, wop, 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 you know, it's not like it come in, shh, you know, there's this loud noise, so here I am, you know, see if you can hit me. So it's the same thing, he's standing, but he's standing, and, and they're in a firefight, and so I'm standing in a firefight, just imagine there's bullets going every way, so if I don't move my head, there's a chance I'm going to get shot in the head. If I do move it, I'm still going to get shot in the head, but how slight the movement is between a graze that just takes out the back of my skull and enough of an angle that the bullet goes in and I'm dead. And so I th I'm reflecting on Greg because there's a, a book that was uh, written with him and his, uh, his partner, his wife, when he, he left, and I'm really compelled because we had that in common, and yet as monks we never shared this. And so not to get too far off on the, the kind of the combat and the veteran story, but the, the fear and, and the exposure to, to death is, I think, a compelling one. And I, 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 I hope that everybody in their own way can relate to that be in, in this sense of, 
say urgency that we're we're um, trying to share over the weekend of like even though you don't have to go off to Vietnam or to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever to uh, be threatened by death. All you have to do is you know step out the steps here and slip and knock your head and you know. There goes old John Kaliano was just talking about George's leg, or it, it, it's that immediate, and and it's just in those more uh, extreme situations it makes it more immediate, and yet uh, the way that uh, the Buddha taught is like this immediacy is now. It's like we don't know if we're going to make the next step, or we breathe in, we don't know if we're going to breathe out. We breathe out, we don't know if we're going to get another in breath. So our practice can become that kind of ref refined. And so that fear and then the compassion to me is compassion. What is compassion is really being able to relate to like that woman. And like all of us, we're not only curious too, if somebody hurts themselves, we may be awkward or not know what to do, but we want to do something. It's just like somebody wanted to say something. Ron, was it? Ron, your friend Ron. Wanted to, wanted to help Ajahn, but he didn't know what to do. Yet that was compassion, wasn't it? Because he understood. And yet it's totally awkward. I don't have a clue what to say, yet I feel your pain. I can't, and I can't even say that because I don't even know it. But I know that there's something in here that's feeling what you're feeling. If that was me, then I would hope that there would be a friend there with me to, to, to share that and to help me through that. And I think those two experiences are those, those two kind of themes. And then the insight is really the, 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 the deep kind of knowing that this is us, the deep knowing that we've been sharing of like we all are getting old, whether we're how old we are is, is relative in this moment, but we're all at a certain chronological age and we all have certain things that our bodies are telling us that there's impermanence and there's, there's change and everything. So insight is as simple as knowing that, well, this is, this is real, and if it's real, then I better take it seriously. And if I take it seriously, then maybe there's a way that I can begin to free myself, or, or there's just the possibility even that, that, that I can free myself from this, uh, this uh, um, uh, uh, feeling that uh, a, a helplessness, or that I, I, it's, it's out of control. And so I don't like the word control, I like the word influence. So I think we can exercise influence in our lives, influence on how we behave. We can't always, some situations we can control, but often we can't. So, but we can, we can make choices and we can have an influence over situations. So I think these are very deep um, uh, themes to reflect on what our fear is, and as I encourage you, what is it that you fear, and looking more deeply at that, at that fear, what it is, and why you fear what you fear, and, and then being able to have compassion for oneself, because I, don't, I, I, I firmly believe that I can't really have compassion for someone else until I have compassion for this. I can't truly love Catherine until I know love myself, and the more deeply I can feel it in here, the more deeply I can express it to others. And in all of that is, I think, a, 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 a fermenting and a ripening of the discernment, the wisdom, and the insight that we all seek as human beings to be free from uh, those things that bind us to uh, aging, illness, and death. 
So I'd like to uh, stop there. Thank you very much once again for your attention, for being here and being such a, a, a good group and uh, being brave and bold to you know, go forth into these groups and talk about things. So I look forward to our last uh, session this afternoon after the, the breakout groups. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joseph.